1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 22. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, through the word of God which lives and abides forever, because all flesh is, is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of the grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Now this is the word which by the gospel was preached to you. Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and evil speaking, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word, that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Power to Grow, that's the title that I've been given. I was best man at a baptism. That's not a mistake, I was best man at a baptism. I had to hold the towel some years ago for someone and uh, there's various people being baptised. And uh, I was the last one, or the person who was being baptised, that I was with was the last one to be baptised. All before me had given some encouraging words, some promises from scripture, all very relevant and great. But when it came to my turn, I read from the last verse of 2 Peter, which says that we need to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. The last verse of 2 Peter, 2 Peter, as we know, Peter's already said, look, before I die, before I put off this tent, I want to stir you up and remind you some things because I'm going and I, there's false teachers who are going to come and it's necessary that you grow so that you're mature, that you don't stumble and be led astray by these false teachers. In his first letter, which is where we read from in 1 Peter, he's hitting the same theme, the need to grow. Paul also picks it up elsewhere. All the writers do. So many of Paul's letters, he writes at the beginning, I thank God for uh, various things and your increase in knowledge. He's talking about growth. He's not great. And the allusion here in those um, first three verses of chapter 2 are to a baby and the need to grow. I worked out yesterday actually and I looked at some of the stats for my own children. I won't tell you which one it was. <laughs> it's one of eight. It's one, uh, but a baby doubles its birth weight in the first three months. And I worked out, if you continue to do that, by the time you're two, you'd be 800 kilos, roughly, <laughs> so, well, for some of us it hasn't <laughs> Some of us have stopped growing at that rate, but any of us who've had younger brothers or sisters or had children look for growth. The midwife comes and the helpless comes and plots the graph of their growth, whether they are bang on the right line or whether they're just a bit over average or under average or whatever, and they watch that line to make sure they are growing at the right rate and in the right way. It's a big issue for us. If any of us have had children or young ones who we love, if they weren't growing, we'd be concerned. Well, the illusion here in 1 Peter chapter 2 is, here we are as Christians, born again, and in the same way, the need to grow. 1 Peter, as far as I can see, is like a series of springboards. Again and again, as he writes to suffering, dispersed people, People have been bereaved, they're bankrupt, they're in all sorts of a mess, all over the place, suffering because they're Christians. Again and again in the book, he says, look, remember this, therefore do that. Look back on this and be encouraged, 
therefore live like this. And in the passage that we the verses we're going to concentrate on, those first three verses of 1 Peter chapter 2, I'll read them again to you. He starts with a therefore. Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy and all evil speaking, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word, that you may grow thereby. If indeed you've tasted the Lord is gracious. From now on, that first word of verse 3, if, I'm going to change to since, because I think that's a better translation. There's no doubt there. He's talking, he's not casting any doubt as to whether they're converted. Since you've tasted that the Lord is gracious. It's an assumption. He knows they've tasted. And he's adding on. So therefore, in the first uh, verse, another reason why they should grow. I've got three points, but the second one has two parts. There are three reasons to grow. They come out of the therefore, we're going to look back, a reason to grow. And the since, I've now put into verse three, another reason to grow. And in the middle, there is one command. Now, it's split by verse one and two, but in actual fact, it's one sentence. That is one command. Quit sin and feed for growth. It's not two separate things. It's all involved together. So there's two reasons and one command that's in two parts. Reason one. You are alive. Why grow? The assumption is you are alive. If you look back into chapter one and all the things he says there, he starts off there in chapter 1 and verse 3, where he says there about being gotten to a living hope. Being forgotten. And he goes on there and talks on and on about the things they have received in Christ. All the benefits of being, being Christians. Verses 3 to 12, he speaks about the great inheritance that they are to get in Christ. And then comes a therefore in verse 13. And he does this again and again. And in, against the background, of what comes in chapter 1, he says, therefore, grow. You have received so much. You are spiritually alive. You've been born again, as he says, by the word of God. Therefore, grow. My question to you is, as we start here today, are you spiritually alive? Are you spiritually alive? Because we wouldn't ask any dead thing to grow. We wouldn't expect any dead thing to grow. But are you spiritually alive? Has the word of God got hold of us to the extent that it's a reality in our life? Has the word so burned into us that we're not like the nodding dog on a parcel shelf in a car, you know, where we say, yes, I believe this, I believe that, I believe that. You've seen them, you, on the back shelf of the car. The dog, maybe it's a Churchill or whatever, but the, the head's going up and down because it's just a nodding dog. And sometimes we can be like that. Do you believe the Bible? Yeah. Do you believe in the resurrection? Yeah. And the head's just going. For those of us from Christian homes, that's a big problem, isn't it? We nod the head. But you see, for these people in 1 Peter, where he writes to these people who are, are bankrupt, dispersed all over the place because of their faith. They'd lost their living. They'd lost their loved ones. He says, look to heaven. More certain than Northern Rock. More certain than anything else in life. He says, here's the encouragement for you, folks. You've lost everything. 
hold on because heaven is an absolute reality. On the team this year, I played um, for the supper time uh, little talks, various missionary biographies and bits and bobs because we've got a different mindset, haven't we? Just to illustrate, let me read something to you. Adoniram Judson was a missionary from America, went to Burma. Now, it's a massive thing to go abroad, isn't it? Today. But then, the parents gave their children up, never expecting to see them again. Adoniram Judson was converted, and he thought he would go as a missionary, and he fell in love to Anne. Before he went, he wrote to Anne's father this letter. Let me read it to you. Just to show you how much he'd got hold of the reality of resurrection. I've now to ask you whether you can consent to part with your daughter early next spring. To see her no more in this world. Whether you can consent to her departure and her subjection to the hardships and sufferings of missionary life. Whether you can consent to her exposure to dangers of the ocean, to the fatal influence of the southern climate of India, to every kind of want and distress, to degradation, insult, persecution and perhaps a violent death. Can you consent to all this for the sake of him who left his heavenly home and died for her and for you? For the sake of the perishing, immortal souls, for the sake of Zion and the glory of God, can you consent to all this in hope of soon meeting your daughter in the world of glory? with a crown of righteous, brightened with the acclamations of praise which shall down to her Saviour from heathen saved, through her means, from eternal woe and despair. Now, you fathers, if a guy wrote to you that sort of letter, can I marry your daughter? You'll never see her again. You could only consent if you were not a nodding dog to the resurrection, but it had burned into your life and was a reality to you. And my worry is, for many of us, we are nodding to doctrine, but it's not part of us. It is not part of us. Can I give my daughter up to never see her again in the certain hope of seeing her in the resurrection? You'd have to really believe it. You'd have to really believe it. You say you believe the Bible, you believe in Christ, you believe in the resurrection. Is it part of you? Is it part of you? Because these people here, these people he's writing to, his encouragement to them was, you've lost everything. But remember, heaven is certain. You cannot endure that unless it is real to you. It's real to you. Is that the case for you? The platform for his instruction to grow is all that's come before. But it was a reality to them. Some of you are not interested in growth because it is not a reality to you. I don't know if in the stories of Wales you show Mary Jones. I've no idea which ones you show there. Mary Jones, that girl who walked barefoot to Bala to get a Bible because she knew it was the word of truth. And yet you and I will not get up in the morning and have six Bibles on the shelf. That's true, isn't it? That's true. 
We're not interested because we have no appetite for spiritual things. Now look, part of what he says when he comes to this 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 1, he says, put away all sin and one of the things is hypocrisy. We're so good at facing up and making a good pretense. But let's face up. If you've got a pen, write it down. I'm a hypocrite. I don't love the word of God. I have no appetite for the word of God. Because pretense will keep us out of heaven. Hypocrisy will take us to hell. Because we need to face up and say, God, this is who I am. I am sorry. But he says to these people, grow, give up sin, verse 1 of chapter 2. Only he can say it because he knew they had laid hold on the things spoken of in chapter 1. He talks about in chapter 1 how they became Christians. You're redeemed not with corruptible things, not with trashy silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Therefore leave sin, verse 1 of chapter 2. He talks about this heaven that though they've lost every earthly thing, he says, he talks about this heaven that will not fade away, is incorruptible, it cannot be taken away, therefore live up, give up sin. He talks about their new birth, you are born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. Our earthly birth, I think, the world of my father, but that is corruptible seed. My father's dying, I am dying, my children will die. But we're born again to a living hope, he says at the beginning of the chapter. A living hope, a certain hope, which cannot be taken away because the word of God lives and abides forever. Now, if you believe that, if that is in your being, if you know your spiritual life, you can say, I give up sin. Because that's what comes... In chapter 2, his recipe and in command for growth is give up sin and feed on the word of God. One command with two parts. But you will never give up sin unless you are born again. Unless it's a reality to you. And I have to ask this question of myself. I don't know if you ask this question. I don't think it's a bad question. I said to Sarah about ten days ago, do you think I'm a Christian? (laughs) If you want me to get off the platform, I will. But do you worry about those things at all? Do you ever think about them? Or are you blasé and just coasting on, nodding your head like the dog on the parcel shelf? I believe it, I believe it, I believe it. No, it's such a reality to you that it changes your life. The Word of God, if you're really converted, will change your life. It will change your values. It will change the way you treat your money, your family, everything. Because you realise we are here for just a while. Heaven is our home. And it's such a reality to you. It will make a difference. In the light of that reality, you can say, give up sin. To change my title, because I heard what Jason said and was blessed by what Jason said, say no to sin. This is his recipe for growth. In the light of what I've done for you, chapter 1, second point, say no to sin. Say no to sin. It says there, put it off. The allusion there is to an old garment. I heard the story of Lorne Sanny. I don't know if you've heard of him. I'm 
talking a lot about Dawson Trotman at the moment. You'll have to excuse me. I said about it in the seminar. But it's a great blessing. If you want sermon audio, this is for Colette's sake. Sermon audio, you can get a sermon by Lorne Sanny. 50, oh no, that was not 51, but just short. And it talks about what it was like to follow Dawson Trotman and know Dawson Trotman. There's another one there about the life of Dawson Trotman, which will really bless you. I played it to the team this year. But Lorne Sanny followed Dawson Trotman when he, he drowned trying to save someone's life. But he talks about when he first joined the Navigators to serve for the Lord. He wasn't paid, but he went and lived with the Lila and Dawson Trotman. And he said, we only ha- well, they only really had two regulations. One was, if you need a day with the Lord... You can take it. That was their principle. And the second one, particularly for Lawn Sunny, was change your socks every day. Because when he first went there, they only had one principle, but the second one had to be introduced because he said the laundry you couldn't get near his socks. <laughs> he, said, he said, I was brought up on the farm. We had a bath once a week on Saturday. We changed our socks once a week. And he said, I don't know what my mother did with the socks whether she burnt them or washed them. That's the point. Put off this sin like an old garment. These last weeks, it's been pouring with rain. I've been working out on an open tractor. I come home filthy home. I have to take off as much as is decent of my clothing before I even come in the house. As we dropped outside. Some may be washed, some may be thrown. You see, it's filthy. Put off these sins like an old garment. Not wash them. Not rejuvenate them. Put them off and throw them. That's the point. That's the force of what he's saying. Throw them. And you'll only do it if you've got hold of chapter 1. And being born again is a reality to you. The preciousness of the blood is real to you. The reality of the resurrection is real to you. Therefore, he says, say no to sin. The prodigal son, we all know that story. Probably all told it on the beach this year. The prodigal son comes home from... Being among the pigs, he comes home, no doubt, smelling, filthy. I've worked with pigs, I was in farming. The smell lingers, you, can't, you can wash it several times, the smell is still there. When I first worked on a farm, when I was 16, I lived in lodgings, and I had to wash my clothes on their own, because it made all the other clothes smell. It was terrible. <laughs> it, it really is terrible. This guy put it with somebody, he walked home with his filthy clothes, and his father gave him a new garment. What do you think he did with the old garments? What do you think he did with the old clothes? He said, oh, Dad, I'll keep that. I'll wash it for another day. He's got a new garment. Put it off. Throw it. It's worthless. And, folk, we play with sin to the detriment of our own soul and those around us. You and I, some of us are fathers. Our children will suffer if we are not growing, if we're playing with sin. And our children will know. Our children will know. They know a hypocrite, don't they? This is a challenge to me. To you fathers, you must grow. Put off sin and grow. The five things listed there are not an exhaustive list. They were just a, a partial list to typify some things but he talks about things, sins against other people mainly is what he's talking about here in verse 1 of chapter 2 lay aside all malice so corrosive isn't it in Christian families when we talk about other people unguardedly lay aside all malice, malice all deceit this is necessary for growth 
This is one command, remember? Don't separate it. It's one command. Put off all deceit. Hypocrisies. This is where I think we're very bad. We're great pretenders, aren't we? I think I am. Great pretenders. Me and Alan Pibworth have been talking a lot about accountability lately and how John Wesley went on and other church groups are going on now having a list of questions to face each week. How are you getting on in your life? Have you read your Bible each day? Have you fallen into sin this week? Have you looked at anything impure this week? Oh, it's frightening, isn't it? That's scary. And the last question, of course, is are you telling me the truth? You see, we're so good. We? I am so good at pretending. I'm very good at pretending. I've learned it over 46 years being brought up in church. I've learned to pretend. I want to cease pretending for God's name's sake. I am willing to make myself accountable for God's name's sake. Are you? In Alan's uh, seminar on blogs and broadband, it goes over my head. But the point that came across quite forcibly and so helpfully was accountability. And these accounts that can help us where we make ourselves accountable to a friend and they know everything we view on the internet. He says, put aside, like an old garment, hypocrisies. If you are watching stuff, you're a hypocrite and so am I. It is a hindrance. It grieves the spirit. Do you expect to grow? You grieve the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. With the stuff you're looking at, listening to. Are you willing to make yourself accountable? I want to be practical. We need help here. But we've got to quit pretending. Not that we wash all our dirty laundry in front of everybody, but have a close spiritual friend, someone who you can have confidence in, who won't talk about it, but who you can help one another, that you might grow in grace and in knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. That you might help others. You'll only want to do this if you're alive. If you're alive. Are you willing to make yourself accountable? Afterwards, see Alan, Pibworth. He'll tell you how you can get make yourself accountable regarding the internet. But are you willing to be honest and develop an honest relationship where we can quit pretending, quit hypocrisy, and grow? Necessary for growth is saying no to sin. I said this isn't a Exhaustive list, envy, evil speaking. These may seem small things to you and me, an unkind word, an uncharitable word, a critical word which is harsh. We talked in our house only about a week or two ago, should we talk about the speaker at all? Constructive or otherwise, you know? Oh, it's only constructive criticism. Rubbish! It's not at all. It's destructive. Totally. Sometimes it can be constructive, but it often isn't. Put away all sin that you might grow. The second part of this one command, and the two are so enmeshed, James 1, 21 22 makes this very same point about putting away all malice. 
and uh, receiving the word of God. But the second part of the command is that we, as newborn babes, verse 2, desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. I've titled it, Feed Like a Baby. I'll let you in a secret. I preached this sermon last week in church because I was very nervous. In our congregation, there's a, a Polish guy. His English isn't fantastic. So I thought, what sort of title? And I had some massive title that he would have had any idea what it even meant. So I had, for those two things, sterilise and feed. Because <laughs> he's got a young baby, you see. He's trying to, trying to help him understand how to grow. And we all know that thought, don't we? Okay? If you've got children, you sterilise. If you drop the dummy, maybe you put it in your mouth. I've seen some do that. But you sterilise and you Feed the baby. Now, my friend Emil, he lives with us and uh, his baby has to have Polish milk. I don't know why, but because he's closely concerned that this baby has the right milk. I don't know if Polish milk is different to English milk. But anyway, but the point is, he's concerned it has the right food. Sterilise, feed like a baby. Not babyish, don't be babyish. The point here is a matter of appetite. We've already alluded to it. It's a matter of appetite. Do you have an appetite for the Word of God? Martin Luther, hundreds of years ago, this is going back a long time, talked about all the things they've got, all the helps they've got. And he said, it's a shame that we don't study the Scriptures. Martin Luther said that however many hundred years ago. We've got all of this and it's a shame and a sin that we don't read the word of God. Now here we are in 2008. I can bring my laptop in here. I've got 15 different versions of the Bible on my laptop with various commentaries. Do you think we read more than they did? It's all a matter of appetite. And maybe we don't have the appetite because we've got these sins and we tolerate them. Even we're taught to tolerate them. As we've said already here on the platform, and Jason said it, we're encouraged to watch things and say, well, I must know about them. We need to say no to sin. Is it any wonder you haven't got an appetite if you're feeding on filthy stuff? You've got no appetite for pure things when... The bottle you're using is filthy, if I can put it in those terms. Sterilise and feed. Sterilise and feed. Feed like a baby. An appetite. At our house we live on a farm and every year we have eight orphan lambs, one for each of the children. Now when you get orphan lambs, they're the ones that their mothers have rejected. We get them off the farm from a big sheep farm near us. They're always quite weakly and... uh, they're always quite weakly and sickly. And often we lose one. This year we didn't lose any. But normally you get one or sometimes two that die. They just don't make it. You feed them, bottle feed them. The children feed their own one. and The mums and tots come and they all feed and they get... <laughs> what do they die actually? Fed by various different people, but never mind. Uh, but here we are. We have these eight lambs. And the first problem we have when we know things are going wrong is when a, a lamb doesn't come for food. You'll get seven run for the bottles, but one will be carrying against the wall, sort of shrunken up and with no appetite. There's a problem there. Do you have an appetite for the Bible? 
feed like a baby. Regular. Too regular through the night. All those times they just have to have food. They'll cry the house down until they get food. Well, feed like a baby. My mum, I'm the youngest of six children. My mum had a rule in our house when I was growing up. If you ate your breakfast, you went to school. If you had an appetite, you were fit enough to go. If you have no appetite, you need to go to the doctor. If you know recurringly in your life you're not bothered about the Word of God, you're dead or you're sick. It's one of those. I'm sorry to be blunt, but it's true. If you have no appetite for God's Word, you are dead or you're sick. It's one of those. Either way, you and I, if we're in that state, need to come to Christ who forgives sinners. Repent of our sin and say, Lord, forgive me for what I am. My appetite is pathetic. I don't have a taste for your things. I'm not interested sometimes in your things. Forgive me for what I am. Cleanse me from my sin and put in me that spiritual life that is hungry and thirsty for righteousness and for your things. Feed like a baby. And as we read the word of God, as we said at the beginning, the Holy Spirit applies the word. Luther said, the Spirit makes the doctor of the word. A lovely thought that, isn't it? But as you read the word of God, God's Spirit of your life applies the word to you and gives life. Move to our last point. Move to our last point. We've had reason one, all those things. We're spiritually alive, therefore we'll put away sin like an old garment. We'll feed like babies. The last reason he gives. I said there was an if there in verse 3 which would change to a since. The last reason he gives for doing these things for our desire to grow is since you've tasted that the Lord is gracious. It raises another question. It becomes an if for us if you like. Have you tasted that the Lord is gracious? Have you got seen and read and learned of Christ that you want more? I think in the Old Testament about David in the cave of Adullam with his band of people. And over there is Bethlehem with the Philistine camp all around it. And David says, oh, I could have some water from the well at Bethlehem. Well, it's surrounded by the Philistine garrison. That's not easy, you know. Is it to say, there's no water like that? There's nothing like that. Now, have you tasted that the Lord is gracious? The disciples were with Jesus and other people were leaving him. And Jesus said to the disciples, Will you also leave me? And they said, To whom shall we go? You 
at the words of eternal life. You have the words of eternal life. Where else in the world can I go for salvation? Where else can I go for someone who feeds my soul, who forgives my sin, who gives me heaven? Where else can I find this? There is no one else. You have the words of eternal life. But some of us won't read the Bible, we won't do anything spiritual because we've not tasted that the Lord is special. Have you had a taste? And his men, you know David's men, they battled through the Philistine camp, got the water and brought it back. There's no water like that. There's nothing like that. In actual fact, he poured it out in offering to God. That was the end of that story. But have you tasted? Have you tasted that the Lord is good. Today we have more helps, more versions, more commentaries than ever before. But we're not in his word, are we? There is no other way to grow. I heard a good illustration recently about a girl called Alice who had a parrot. I don't know if you've heard it. <laughs> I have Tim's illustration fit with my talk. The girl called Alice who had the parrot. Come on, you know that. I don't have to tell you again. Surely you know this illustration, don't you? You just heard it. And she had all the toys. Has the shop got any food? You will never grow as a Christian unless you feed on the Word of God. It's been the habit of virtually, as far as I can see, all God's great heroes but they read the Bible through time and time again. Let me read you George Muller's one. Some of you have heard this. I've read this to you before in some, one place. George Muller, who founded children's homes in various other works, said this as a 71-year-old to some younger men that he was counselling. He's 71, and he speaks to these younger men, gives them some, like, some parting advice. Actually, he died when he was in his 90s, so it was hardly parting, but never mind. Um, here, he goes, it's absolutely needful in order that happiness in the Lord may continue that the scriptures be regularly read. These are God's appointed means for the nourishment of the inner man. Consider it and ponder over it. Especially we should read regularly through the scriptures consecutively and not pick out here and there a chapter. If we do, we remain spiritual dwarfs. I tell you so affectionately. <laughs> I couldn't hear his tone of voice. Whether it was or not, I don't know. He says, I tell you so affectionately, for the first four years after my conversion, I made no progress because I neglected the Bible. But when I regularly read on through the whole with reference to my own heart and soul, I directly made progress. Then my peace and joy continued more and more. Now I've been doing this for 47 years. I've read through the whole Bible about a hundred times and I always find it fresh when I begin again. Thus my peace and joy have increased more and more. As I say, he died when he's in his 90s and that by then read it through about 200 times. So obviously if you count it up, he stepped up the pace as he got older. It's about four times a year as he got older. We tend to think of growth for young people. No. Fathers, I say again, you must be growing. Pursuing God 
for the sake of your own soul and your family. Mothers the same. Your children know, to you, know from you that the Bible is precious. If they had to say something about you, your children, would they say, mums, dads, they love the Bible. I put that question against myself. I love football. I may love church. I may love lots of things. Do I love the Bible? Muller said there, it's supported obviously by scripture, that's the only way to grow. You want some quick fix? You want some experience that will make you grow? John Piper said, I think quite helpfully, he said, the spirit comes with your elbows like this, either side of the word of God. That's a good point. It is through the word of God that you will grow. Read it. Listen to it. Talk about it. Meditate on it. Be there at church, not out of duty, but to hear, I want to hear what God is saying to me. We're listening to the words of Christ. We've got to take it seriously. We've got to be prayerful about it and seek God's help to apply it. As we conclude this morning, I want to be practical. If you're taking notes, I want you to write some steps you're going to take to alter your habits that you might be more time in the Word of God. You say, well, I've got to deal with sin first. Well, it's a circle. The Bible keeps you from sin or sin keeps you from the Bible. And as you're in, in the Word, God will feed you and give you a desire to get rid of sin. As you get rid of sin, you have more appetite for the Bible. It goes in a circle. I want you to write some things down. You're going to change in your life. How many of you have read the Bible through, right through? Maybe that's your aim. Some of you, you're pushed for time. You're older. You need to be back in the Bible. Regularly. In a disciplined way. Do you take notes on the Bible as you read? I found one of the most helpful things for me is to print off the Bible passages and write notes on them. And my mind is always applied to what's in there in the text. Do you know, I've found for years, I've been in a Christian home, i found I can read the Bible without hearing a word it's saying. Do you know that experience? I can go to church and not hear a word. Make it a point of prayer that you will engage with the word of God to hear it. Will you listen to it on MP3? This is a great passion for me. You, you know that. I, my job allows me to do it, I know. But most of you younger ones have got MP3 players but are listening to music or other stuff. Can I plead with you to use that time to listen to something decent and feed on the Word of God? Because it is the Word of God which is our nourishment. Now, someone said to me, um, just the other day, oh, I, I said, how, how's your wife getting on spirit? She said, well, she listens to a lot of Christian music. It, no, it's the word of God which is the food. Not an atmosphere. Not experience. It's the word of God, which is like the milk for the baby, which is the building blocks. It's the food. So, will you please listen to it? Put some stuff on your MP3. If I have mine here, 
On there, I've got all sorts of stuff. Some of it's really hard to listen to. I thought, I'm going to listen to loads of stuff. I have two versions of the Bible that I listen to. I listen to testimonies. I listen to sermons. I listen to, all, I listen to read sermons. Sometimes it's hard work. Because I want to hear. I, I want to hear what people said years ago as well. Because I want to know and receive and be built up by the word of God. Will you do that? Will you do it?